If you've got your Bible with you or your app, you might want to open it up and get it ready. We're going to read together from John chapter 20 in a few moments. But John chapter 20, you want to grab that one. I'm sure I'm not alone in the journey of having to wrestle through doubt. I'm sure I'm not alone that there, you know, in my circumstances of life, from the time I said yes to Jesus, I have found myself in moments of having to wrestle through doubt. And so I want to pick up on that this morning. God has been teaching into our um, story here at Pine Rivers and our life as individual followers of Jesus about new beginnings in the resurrection of Jesus. And wasn't um, Jess amazing last week? So great to have these young adults teaching us. Amazing. Jess was fantastic last Sunday. Um, bear with us. We've just got a few little IT issues that we're dealing with in the background before we can upload some of our, um, our latest podcasts. So uh, Neil will be back from holidays too next week. So that's kind of on the, on the back burner. But um, when that gets up there, I do recommend you go back and listen to Jess and also Nikki Brown. She did a great bit of teaching on what it means to um, have good grief to be able to then partner with God with the ending of stories to be able to embrace the new story that God has for you in this this next season of your life. And so you want to get back and have a listen to those. Some really great teaching going on in this place. But this morning, I want to um, touch on this theme of uh, doubt. But before we get there, on that first slide, thanks, Sarah. Um, just to remind ourselves, we're in this season of celebrating the cross and the resurrection. And there's this fantastic quote by N.T. Wright. I'm just going to say it, read it again over us. The cross was the moment when something happened as a result of which the world became a different place. In other words, the impact of what Jesus did on that moment has impacted the here and the now as well as our future, inaugurating God's future plan. The revolution began then and there. Jesus' resurrection was the first sign that the revolution of God's love was underway in the earth, in the earth. And uh, it's really important that we um, wrestle with the fact that to belong to Jesus, to give our life to Jesus, to welcome our, um, Jesus to grab a hold of our life and, 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 and draw us to himself, it's to put us in his love story that's revolutionising the world. It's to put us in what he's doing right here and right now and into the future. But this morning... Uh, I want to touch on this idea that doubt is actually um, moments of invitation from God to a deeper and more powerful faith. Doubt is an invitational moment from God for us to a life of deeper and more powerful faith in Jesus. Now, um, recently the, the church board here, they've... they've They've been working very hard over the last 12 months to bring a whole bunch of practical transformation to this building, um, just with all of the new Mercy Centre that's going on next door, all of the new children's ministry areas, there's new tenants down the end of the building, there's new sound system equipment that's been installed, there's all sorts of gear 
that's been upgraded and the board's been working really hard on all of that and now the board's in this very interesting, exciting position where we're discussing with uh, brokers about refinancing the building again, which is which we want to ask that you'll be praying for. But we want to refinance the building because it looks as though we are in a very good position to be able to, after 20 years, can you believe this? After 20 years, air condition the building. Oh, now look, I think I've poked something there. I think I've touched on something. (laughs) Is that hope in you that I see bursting forth? (laughs) Hey, but um, it's uh, sincerely though, we do ask for your prayers because we are about to renegotiate the whole deal. And it does look very positive that we are now in a position to be able to rewire the electricals through the, um, a couple of parts of the building, put solar all over the roof of this thing across the top and air condition in here and the children's ministry in the Mercy Centre. And so we, 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 we invite you to join with the work that the board's doing with the banks and, and with brokers and the accountants and um, Kate has been doing an amazing job as our treasurer to keep all of our finances in r- amazing shape to be able to present with a sense of integrity to our banks. So it's an exciting time. We can almost reach out and touch it. But boy, over 20 years, it's been somewhat of a journey of many moments of going, I don't think we're ever going to get this place air conditioned. <laughs> if you've been with us on that for that length of time, maybe some of you haven't had the joy of sweating with us every summer for 20 years, but some of you have. Uh, but it, you know, I, as, as I've been sort of processing all of that just personally with the Lord, I was reminded again of how uh, we actually, as a local church, came to purchase this whole uh, building. What a story that was! Uh, it, and it began um, many, many years ago, where I was just kind of having a good belly ache to the Lord about not having a home for for the, His people as in a, you know, a facility to be able to operate from. And, um, and then one day as I was walking around the building, I just hear this voice saying to me, when I say voice, it was, I don't know if it was outside me or inside me, I can't tell you, but I just knew it was a voice of the Lord. And he said to me, he will give you the building. I'm like, who is he? What building? When will this happen? So that just set me on this path of who? Who is the person that will give us the building? When will that happen? How will that happen? So anyway, that was a, that was a little whisper that I heard from God and it sent me on a journey of many, another number of years of, really God? Why would you tell me something like that if you weren't actually then leading me towards that? Well, then anyway, a number of years later, I have, um, I have a dream one night. And many of you have probably heard that dream. But in this dream, I go, I'm, I'm going shopping for a new car. And I, I think I'm going shopping for a new car, but I find this really old, beaten-up Holden HR. And it was an old box of a car. But man, there was something about it and it drew my attention. So I went to this car and I looked inside and I could see it was made up of all these different odd bits and pieces. The sound system in it was just like, 
at that time, it reflected the sound system that we had here at Pine Rivers Vineyard. It was a piece of this and a piece of that, and a, it was a bit sir, of a sound system. But when you turned it on, it was, oh, gee, it made a good sound. It was like, oh, that is the best sounding stereo I've ever heard. And I was also drawn to the accelerator that was in that old HR car, and I was like, man, that, this thing's made to go. This thing's got some real grunt in it. And then I found myself in the dream, reaching into my pocket, and I pulled out all this money that I had in my pocket to buy this old car and that was the end of my dream. And I, I saw, it was one of those dreams where I sort of nudged Nicole and I, in the morning and I said, I just had this dream. You know, you probably, I've only probably had maybe four, five, six of those kind of really significant dreams where you wake up the next day and you go, I think God is trying to get my attention. Well, anyway, the next day, uh, Warren, who was the owner of this facility, rings me and says, Kirk, I want to sell the building and I want to give you guys first chance to purchase that. I was like, Warren, you won't believe it. Now, Warren was not a believer and so I, anyway, I told him though anything, I, everything I could about Jesus talking to me in the night and I told him this dream and he was like, well, that's great, Kirk, but whatever, just, I'm just letting you know <laughs> I want to sell the building. <laughs> and um, so anyway, you might remember, it was like, then God took us as a people on this journey about praying and partnering with God to purchase a building. Do you remember when used, I, I found this actual HR Holden car, the exact one from my dream, and I, I paid this guy every Sunday to drive his car, this old HR Holden, like right where about Lizzie is and park it right in the middle of the church and we'd all walk around it and kick its tyres and look at it and poke it and we just had this season of letting God draw us into the hope of what he was doing. But between when that started and um, then we eventually had to start the journey of like, well, how do you fund something like this? Well, we had to come up with $1.1 million dollars. Yeah, but at the first it was 1.1, but because we took so long to even rally a deposit for $1.1 million, which was about $270,000, uh, Warren said, it's taking you so long to do that, I'm actually upping the price to 1.2. And so we were like, what? But anyway, that was another part of the journey, and the Lord took us there. And, but, but in all of that, there was these moments, really sincere moments of, God, you've you're inviting us into something and yet we're having to overcome moments of like, did we hear you right? This is all a bit clunky. It's, it feels like there's opposition. How, how are we even going to do this? And then I remember right on the eve of the, the signing of the contract, the, the nature of the contracts um, changed uh, with the lawyers and it went from one particular part, style of contract to another, which the net effect of that was we would have to pay the GST on $1.2 million, where originally, in the original contract, we didn't have to. So then that meant we had to come up with another $120,000 on the eve of the sale. Like how, well, our brokers, our brokers came to us and the banks said, we want you to get this. And so the banks said, we'll give you the GST. We'll give you that extra $120,000 because we'll get it back at the end of the, you know, the quarter when you do your BAS return. We'll get that one twenty dollars back. And so you're only going to have to pay $8,000 of interest on that $120,000. And we're like so tight and to the dollar and to the cent. We're like, Lord, where are we even going to get $8,000? Well, anyway, this guy, 
he, he, he had just recently sold his home and he came and he said, hey, listen, uh, we, my wife and I, we felt like God told us to give you some of the finance out of the sale of our home and it's $8,000. It was like, well, there we go. That's, there's the $8,000. But it was just such a journey of God. I want to believe. I don't believe this is going to happen. Yes, I'm going to stay in this place of faith. And at the same time, recognising, God, this is so out of my hands, and yet you've drawn me into what your hand is doing. Have you ever found yourself in those kind of places in your relationship with God, where that's what it really means to walk in faith? Wrestling with doubt and unbelief and moments of great, yes, and moments of great frailty and everything in between. That is, that is the true Christian experience. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But it's in the midst of that, it's in the midst of that that Jesus loves to come alongside and says, now come on, I've, I'm calling you into something here. Believe in me and what I'm doing. And move, move out from living in your own framework of doubt and start partnering with what I'm actually doing and believe in me, says Jesus. So I, wanna, I just want to sort of poke into that a little bit because I think in this season of um, uh, new beginnings, it's in the soil of our doubts and our greatest wrestles that Jesus comes and births faith. It's not despite them, it's in the soil of them that Jesus comes and births his kingdom. And I'm sure there's moments for all of us right now in this room that we can quite clearly in the, in the, in the space of our own heart and our own mind, we are, there are places of, that we know there is soil in our life of great doubt right now that we're wrestling with, be it a relationship, be it an economic circumstance, be it a health concern, be it, be it a, whatever the situation, there's a soil of doubt in our life and it's there that Jesus wants to birth his kingdom and write a new story of transformation and love. Got your Bible? John 20. Thanks, Sarah. If you haven't got your Bible, it'll be on the screen. Verse 19, so okay, so Jesus has been crucified, he's died, he's, he's risen from the dead and now he's doing these turn-ups. <laughs> he's doing these turn-ups at people's uh, lives as they're going along. And, and uh, so he turns up to a couple of times to the disciples and well, the first one is he turns up to Mary at the tomb and, and at the tomb he meets with her and then she runs and tells the disciples, it's true, he's alive, he's alive. And, and it's interesting, some of the gospel writers said, and all of the disciples did not believe her. Right there. All of Jesus' A-team did not believe. Right there. I mean, these guys, they're great guys, but they're very human. <laughs> they're very human. They're trying to figure out what it means to walk alive to God as well. And so, but one of the guys wasn't there, Thomas. Now, Thomas, his name, really, his name means the twin. And in fact, if you pull it all apart, his name really isn't Thomas. It's the twin of the twin. How's that for a name? The twin of the twin. It's like, 
But anyway, the gospel writers gave him the name Thomas so we could get a handle on him. All right, so anyway, Thomas wasn't there though. And so when he turns up late to one of these turn-up parties of Jesus, he says, well, I, I don't believe what you guys are talking about. I, I don't believe until I get to put my finger in his side and, and touch the scars on his hands. Well, anyway, here's the next encounter. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After this, he said, he said he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he, with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which is the twin of the twin, was one of the 12. Now, there's a bit of a claim, you know, a bit of a claim. I am one of the 12. I mean, that's a pretty high, like, he's a known player. Uh, he's a, he, yes, he's a known player. One of the 12. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I, I, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them through, lock, through the Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me and you have believed, you, uh, you have seen me, you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. There's a picture of Thomas up there on the, on the screen. Great little bit of artwork there, but just let's just think about this guy for a minute. One of the 12. Let's just soak that in for a minute. So he's one of the 12 that spent three years on the road with Jesus. Three years on the road with Jesus. He's one of the closest people who walked closest with Jesus. He's not a second-hand story about Jesus. He is like, I walked with him. I ate with him. We slept under the same trees. We went from town to town together. We broke bread together. We shared loads of conversation laid around the fire at night together. He shared a close relationship with Jesus. He witnessed major miracles of Jesus. He, you know, Thomas's hands, they were one of the hands that when, you remember on the side of the mountain that day, there was all of these thousands of people and Jesus, there was only a few bits of bread and fish and then Jesus gave thanks to it and said to his disciples, now go and distribute that. It was through Thomas's hands. He took a little bit of fish and it just kept multiplying and multiplying and multiplying through his very hands. 
that miracle took place. And then, he, and then he had to, through his hands, he went and collected up all the leftovers that day that were on the side of the hill. It was, it was in his very hands. He knew Jesus. He sat and he listened to Jesus' teaching. He saw Jesus go and really have some great arguments with all of the then, you know, philosophers and teachers. And, Jesus, and, and Thomas was there when, when they would come at Jesus with all these questions and, and Jesus would just like answer them and bring truth. Thomas was there. He saw all of that interaction. Thomas was, Thomas was there when, the, um, when, when Jesus was asleep in the boat and there was a great storm on the waters. Thomas was one of the guys in the boat that said, hey, Jesus, do you love us? Wake up, man. And Jesus stood at the bow of the boat and said, oi, okay, and told the waves, be still. And they were still. And then not long after that, and that same trip, they get to the other side of the water and they, they get out of the boat and they go and they see this guy, his name's Legion in Mark chapter five. This poor bloke is just, just grossly um, afflicted by demonic powers and influences and, and so much so that people were scared of him and he lived in the caves and he would cut himself. And Thomas was there when Jesus came to him and that guy came and bowed at Jesus' feet and Jesus set him free from all of the demons and all of the oppression that had been over his life. Thomas was there. So when the news came that Jesus was risen from the dead, you'd think that Thomas was one of the guys going, oh yeah, based on what I've lived and walked and known and seen and touched and heard of doing life with Jesus, oh yeah. I believe he's alive. Nope. That wasn't his response. His response was, nah, not unless I get to do this. It was on his terms. He saw numerous demonstrations of Jesus' authority and power over creation, over demons, over sickness, and over death, even Lazarus. Well, Lazarus, it was interesting if you go back into John chapter 11, the story where Jesus goes to Bethany and he sees Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, is dead. He's been dead four days, buried. He's, his body is beginning to get that post-death stench about it. And Jesus turns up and they all think he's late. But before he goes there, it's interesting in John's gospel, in John chapter 11, they were all nervous about going there because they knew that if Jesus went there to this woman's house, that part of town, Jesus could get lynched by the religious police. And you know who it was though that spoke up? It was Thomas in John chapter 11. Thomas stood up and he said, come on, let's go and see what's gonna happen here. Thomas was a person of great courage we, 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 you know, we've kind of kept this poor bloke in a space of a, you know, a second sort of tier person. Oh, you're an unbeliever. No, he was a man of great courage as well. He's like, yeah, let's go to the place where we could get lynched and let's watch Jesus do what Jesus does. 
There's not too many mentions of Thomas in the book, but that's one of them. He heard Jesus predict his own death and resurrection. And yet this guy who'd been seen, tasted, walked and partnered with the living Christ, he wrestled with doubt. What does this tell us about doubt and our relationship with Jesus? Well, simply this. You can have all the real-time exposure to Jesus, but this does not and will not mean that at some point along the way, you and I will have to acknowledge that there are places in us and moments that we find ourselves in where we do not have faith. That's what this story tells us about our life. But at the same time, the flip side of that coin is that Jesus is not afraid of our doubt and he welcomes our questioning. And in fact, even when we think our questioning is distancing ourselves from Jesus, what does Jesus do in that account that we read? He came back again specifically to come alongside Thomas in his, in his doubt. In the soil of our doubt, God is about to birth his kingdom because he will always come alongside. This is our Jesus. This is our resurrected king that we love and we worship here at the vineyard. Doubt is also a signal point of invitation from Jesus to begin to live beyond the realm of our capacity to organise, to control and to influence outcomes. Doubt is a signal point from Jesus inviting us to live by faith and not our determinations. The kingdom of God is a life of faith in Jesus. At the end of John chapter 11, where Jesus is on his, he's on his way to Mary and Martha's house to, to raise Lazarus, that he comes to the women and he says to them, hey, I'm not late. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Do you believe in me? That's the big question that Jesus puts to these women. Do you believe in me? Not the theory of God, but do you believe in the person of Jesus? That's the big question for us in this season. Jesus comes along into the, into the soil of our doubt he comes with the conf not only the confession that he claims himself to be the resurrected one, but he has also now is the one who is resurrected and he comes alongside us to plant a new seed in the soil of our doubt, the mustard seed of his kingdom, faith. And he simply asks you and me a question. Do you believe in me? Jesus says. Will we place our faith in the mustard seed of his kingdom being planted in the soil of our doubt? That our lives would be radically changed, completely revolutionised, do you believe in Jesus? 
for your pain that you carry every day, the soil of your pain? Jesus comes along inside and says, do you believe in me? Your confusion, your mental fatigue. Jesus comes alongside and says, do you believe in me? Disappointment and pain and lost hopes, broken relationships, just the continual hounding of our our flesh-driven choices. Jesus comes alongside and says, do you believe in me? Though he forgives you, yet you can't forgive yourself, do you believe in me? This is our Jesus. Do you believe? Do you believe? Just that next picture. Thanks, Sarah. What happened to Thomas? Well, Thomas... um, Extra biblical sources tell us that he actually went from that place of when Jesus said to him at the end of that John chapter 20 there, that text that we read, where he says, come on, Thomas, stop, stop living in the doubt. Start letting faith in me run your life. You know where this guy ended up? India. Now, India needs our prayers. But this guy, this guy in 50 AD after knowing what was happening and the persecution and the affliction and all of the oppression that was coming against the people of Jesus all over the then known world, this guy, he listens to the heart of God and follows Jesus to India and takes the message of the kingdom there. He goes and leads, I don't know how many people to Christ. I couldn't put a figure on it, but it does. Extra biblical sources tell us he planted at least seven churches. I mean, contextually, they might have been a home churches, I, I don't know, they could have been crowds, I have no idea. But he planted seven communities of Jesus across India. The faith of people came alive in the Lordship of Jesus Christ as King over all of the gods of India. People came to Jesus. That's where this guy ended up. And then in about 70 something AD, Sorry, it's not a nice ending to the story. He was martyred for his faith. He was killed. But you know what? Back there in John chapter 11, when he was going with Jesus to go back to raise Lazarus from the dead and everyone says, don't go back there. We could get killed. Thomas was the guy that said, no, let's go back and see what the resurrection of the Christ would mean in this situation. And there he went there. And that then informed who he is. And then as meeting Christ, the resurrected king, he's now like, I don't care if my life gets taken in this, in this world or not. He's, he's become a man of faith. The mustard seed grew of, his king, of the kingdom grew in the soil of his, of his doubt. And he was willing to go anywhere for Jesus and spend his life on Jesus the resurrected king. What an amazing story. Today, you and me, let's just listen to that. Oh, could I pop get that next slide? Thanks, Sarah. 
Let's just hear those words of Jesus to Thomas. But let's also hear them as if Jesus is actually speaking them to us. In the soil of your doubts, in this season of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, who rules and reigns right now and is alive and bringing people to faith all over the world, even right here in good old Pine Rivers, people are coming to Jesus today. Let's hear the word of Jesus. Stop doubting. Believe in me. Believe in Jesus. Jesus prophesied that day to Thomas that there would be a movement of people in the earth that would live beyond the power and the edges of their doubt and their ability to control life. And they would become a people who didn't care to live by sight, but they lived by faith in the resurrected Jesus. They lived by faith in Jesus for their well-being, their identity, their their sense of um, life and purpose in the earth. They lived by faith in Jesus. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed But there's a big move coming in the earth. And that move is people who are blessed because they haven't seen me. And yet they choose to believe in me. That's the beauty and the wonder that we've all been caught up in and are being caught up into. Even in this room right now today. 